This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am Tom Z, joined as always by my man Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. And Tim, we here at the LEP have some big news. Very, very happy and proud to announce that we have joined the Blue Wire Podcast Network, joining LFR and so many other great pods covering the entire league and, and all kinds of great stuff. Blue Wire, great guys over there. So yeah, Tim, we will now be a part of the Blue Wire family, my man. Yeah, the LEP's taking taking the LEAP. Um, <laughs> joining a, a really good infrastructure, some really good dudes over there. I've talked to a few folks, personal referrals. It, it should be a, a nice step forward. Happy to make that step. As a piece of that, you may hear some uh, ads throughout podcasts moving forward. Not sure about today, but um, yeah, other than that, it, same old Lakers exceptionalism pod shouldn't negatively impact the product in any way or anything like that. It's, Still us doing the same sort of stuff. I think we're going to go with a Monday-Friday schedule since we're doing a little bit more streaming. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to lean on the stream side, push a little bit more of the Twitch content, and then just have the two pods a week. But yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited for the next steps. Yeah, and yeah, like we mentioned before, if you haven't been out with us on stream, we our schedule's been a little janky, but starting Monday, things will start to settle in and we'll we'll get into midseason four, much like the Lakers have started to do, Tim, over the last week or so. And I was telling you before when we were trying to figure out pod topics, which, you know, the Lakers are the best team in the league, believe it or not. There's so much good coverage. It's it's hard to come at it with a different angle, you know. I don't just wanna read you, you know, the the stats every night of what happened. There are other pods that do that that but um i feel like almost nothing happened this week for the lakers uh in in terms of their opponents that they played and and what we learned i i don't know it's not nothing i maybe i'm overreacting to you know playing the the two terrible games against houston and then and then whooping okc with a little bit of a sleepwalking effort but you know i don't know do you feel like anything of significance has happened in the last week not really. I mean, OKC wasn't expected to put up much of a fight. Houston, I was hoping to see more of. And they had been playing like fairly well. It wasn't like they haven't been this bad the whole season. Yeah, they we just we just kicked no, their butts. No, Ellie's good. Ellie's really good. This was a week of let's some compile. Let's compile some really good numbers. So, you know, the bigger picture stuff looks even better. LA, the Lakers are still certainly working through stuff. We're seeing I think they're I don't know. It was a good week for them to continue working on some of the same issues and topics they've had in the past we've seen THT uh, shine a little bit throughout some of these games we've seen guys sit or be injured here or there um but yeah no big injuries no key wins or upset losses so yeah just another week to put some work in I guess I shouldn't say nothing it's you know Anthony Davis has really returned to that defensive player of the year form and and he seemed to you know get frustrated you know when they lost to the Spurs or you know, when he was reported, you know, LeBron saying the captain's mad. So we had to turn it on. I love all that. All the stuff I'm hearing from the Lakers locker room with Dennis Schroeder talking about it's the most fun and professional place. Man, I I love that to death. Like, that's the kind of team I love rooting for. And 
and respect, you know, and on top of the talent, the process is there. So it's, it's great to great time to be a Lakers fan, but uh, you know, as far as deep in depth, you know, future telling coverage against the OKC thunder, you know, that might be uh, you know, something we want to wait for. So uh, in lieu of that, I'm going to set up a little bit, Tim, where the Lakers are, you know, on a general basis, they're 10 and three through 13. They haven't really uh, been hit by any of these COVID waves, you know, mm-hmm. other than Caruso. Right. But not any games postponed, which mm-hmm. has seemed to kind of been really affecting the Eastern Conference right now. But yeah, 13 games, 10 and three. They have an 114.8 offensive reading, which is fourth in the league. Uh, they have a 104.4 defensive rating, which is first in the league. They overtook the Mavericks uh, recently. And they have a 10.5 net rating, which is just 0.3 behind the Bucks at 10.8 for first in the league. So overall, look, the defensive number uh, has gotten gotten better, you know, as they've locked in. They've held teams to under 100 points several times already to start this season. So I don't know, man. Talk, talk to me about what you've seen despite the uh, lack of competition from the Lakers last week or so. Yeah, the competition's been poor. Our messaging in previous pods was, hey, you know, things are looking good, but be patient. It might take some time to work through these new changes defensively, integrate the offensive pieces. If we're not like blowing teams out, that's fine. And and we go blow teams out all week. So I think that speaks to one, the level of competition a little bit, but also how things are starting to click a little bit more. I will admit that the, I don't know, the, the caliber of how teams were attacking those catch hedges has dipped a little bit the past week. Uh, Houston, I don't know, the, the way teams do their game planning for most teams is it's not like Frank Vogel's not putting together a scouting report on every team and then deciding what's going to happen. Usually there's an assistant coach that is scouting along with a video coordinator, whoever we're going to play on Monday, and then another assistant coach is going to schedule like Wednesday and another guy's going to look Friday, and they put together their proposed preliminary game plan, and then Vogel will look over that, make tweaks, whatever. So when teams may look really good one day and then not so good the other day, sometimes it's finding those spots in the schedule and you can notice a pattern of like, I don't know who which assistant coach this is, but maybe they're doing really well or not so well with, with scouting reports. Whoever on Houston staff scouted us, I don't think they did a fantastic job because they didn't attack the catch hedges all that well. Their defense wasn't really clicking. I think Harden wasn't trying all that hard. I, I don't know. It, it was a good week. Yeah, I don't think the scouting report was being followed in Houston this week, Tim. Well, in the thing, so here, here's the way I would pitch it, because because I under, I fully understand people like I, I tweeted something like that, and people were like ah, you can't say anything about their coaching staff because James Harden. Okay, but it wasn't like we saw them trying the right things and they didn't have the talent or they weren't trying hard enough or they weren't executing well. We've seen that. We've seen Memphis was trying some of the right things, they weren't good enough. We uh, saw San Antonio was trying some of the right things. They didn't execute all that well in the second game. They did in the third game. Houston wasn't even trying the right things. It was like reading. It was like in football. If the quarterback's just reading the defense wrong and calling the wrong play over and over again. And and the offense for him has been good. It's the defense that's been poor with Harden. But it's an historic game because like I can't remember a single game or, you know, this case, like a double header, so to speak. But that literally got this dude traded and and. Yeah, it could have been the timing that he knew a trade was coming, so he spoke mm-hmm. out. But they rolled over in a very, very particular way that you just don't see from teams, you know, 14 games into the season. That was like yeah. a particularly yeah. unique event. There was a point in the game where you're like, okay, this team is, they're broken. Yes. They're done. It, within that specific game, I didn't realize it was going to be a bigger picture thing. But within that game, I was like, this is over. They're, they're not coming back from this. Uh, them approaching the second game with like the same game plan, making really no schematic tweaks. I was like, come on, like, come on. You, you can do better than that. We've seen San Antonio from game one to game two to game three, their game plan improves like exponentially. Houston just wasn't there. So hopefully, I, I don't know. It, Harden didn't do the best he could do this year to represent himself as a professional. And there are off-court implications to this with endorsements and things like that. With their team, they weren't performing up to the level they could have as soon as that was happening, this result is probably best for both parties because Harden can go try to play for a team that has a chance for a title. Maybe he'll try harder. Maybe not. We'll see. 
and Houston doesn't have to live in this purgatory of like, we should be good, but we're underperforming and we've got weird locker room stuff going on. And you know, or is, if that goes on for a whole year, you're probably just diminishing Harden's trade value unless he suddenly starts kicking it into gear, which it didn't seem like he was going to. So this gives both of them a clean slate to approach games moving forward. And we saw Houston perform pretty well. They beat San Antonio the other day. And again, maybe they had a, a better scout for that matchup. We'll have to see. But I don't know. That's the, that's my two cents on that situation. I think Brooklyn will be a serious challenge. I think Houston has some brighter days ahead. And I like some of the guys they got back. I, I really like what the Cavs got in that deal as well. Hell yeah. I'm sorry, I've completely derailed whatever question no, you asked no, me recently. I, but, uh, I find this trade fascinating, so I, I would be down to talk about it. And, and I, I did a little bit on Nick Jaley's pod, so go check that out if you want to hear more. But I thought that was one of those rare four-teamers that makes sense for literally every team. And maybe Brooklyn gave up too much. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the Rockets are trying to save money, you know, but there is a world where this works out for all of them. Yep. In the, I mean, the Cavs, I, I did not realize Jared Allen was that cheap. And Seriously? I think it might have been a money thing, but like, holy crap, like they got him for what? Like a late first? They got him for basically? a Bucks 2022 Jesus. and uh, Dante Exum. That's a, that's a great deal. He's legit. He's yeah. like very good. He's 22. He's not like a superstar or anything, but he's very impactful offensively, defensively. He's getting better. He's again, he's 22. So he's going to get much better. Really great pull for the Cavs. We'll have to see what they do. I think there may be implications from this trade in terms of some next steps. Yes. Now the Cavs have a lot of bigs. Do they cut McGee? Do they yes. do something with Kevin Love? Does Drummond go somewhere? Drummond's been playing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nance has been playing really well. They've, I think they have one of the top defenses in the league right now. So we'll see what that looks like. There might be a big man on the buyout market soon. Well, and, and Houston might might continue to sell the 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 stuff in the cabinet with PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon, you know, cause it, it's just mm-hmm. unsure right now as to whether Oladipo is in their future plans. Maybe they flip him again, you know? So I, I get, yeah, I yep. think all those things are on the table for sure. I'm a little worried about McGee in Brooklyn. Cause I think that makes a lot of sense for them, but uh, he's, he's better than Deandre. I am. Yeah, I, I think so. Deandre has been good defensively this year. I, I can see JaVale as a step up. I think JaVale has a little bit more versatility is probably not the right word because this is going to come off wrong, but he can do a little bit more on the perimeter, even though it can look really funky sometimes than DeAndre, who's not just not there. He does yeah. more vertically no, I, too. I, he, he does as well. Yeah. They, they're going to be interesting. They have some roster slots to fill. We'll have to see if they are able to pick up some old dudes that retired or some guy like Shabazz Napier is not on the team right now. Maybe there's some overseas players that can come over. Uh, I don't think we've. I don't think this is the final version of the Nets, but right. as is, they have a really, really powerful starting group with several bench pieces that can shoot pretty well. They're not the best bench pieces, but when you have three different elite ISO guys, it doesn't hurt to have TLC standing in the corner and knocking down catch and shoot threes if if you try to help off of them. Right. So. So, I mean, let's do this real quick then. Do you think the Nets are the favorite in the East? Yeah, I think they will be. I I think by the time they work out the kinks, by the end of – I think they'll come out of the East, I I, I guess what I'll say. Yes. I'm just going to say, like, you know, I will edit out the very long pause you just gave right there. (laughs) So – but let the record be known. Tim, who on this team is stopping Giannis from dunking on their face? Kevin Durant's the only player they have that can try to do that. I think Kevin Durant's a great defensive player, you know, especially for his size and length and what he can do on the perimeter. But yeah, good luck. That's all they I'm saying. They're not. Yeah, they're not going to be good defensively. They're they are going to try to just outscore you. It's going to come down to. And the thing is, when you have a ISO, they're going to have basically a point guard, a shooting guard who's like bigger and like thicker. And a what is Katie put like Katie will be like their four um, in a lot of lineups with like maybe Jeff Green as a small ball five. When you have three different elite ISO options and they can be hunting mismatches, you're going to find opportunities as an offense. Like if we think about like the Lakers, like Alex Crusoe can do really well defending Kyrie, perhaps mm-hmm. maybe Harden, but he's not going to do all that well defending KD. Uh, 
And like LeBron can probably do a decent job on KD. Is he going to be able to keep up with the craftiness craftiness of Kyrie? So it's there. Thankfully, LA has a ton of guys that can do that at different heights and sizes, but a lot of teams won't be able to. So I, I do think Milwaukee. It's going to be Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I think Milwaukee's probably the better team in the playoffs. It's just so hard to to pick Milwaukee. It's hard to feel confident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think Philly is lurking. I, I, they'll, they'll be tough. I don't think they're going to come out of the East, but I think they are going to challenge these teams. And if Brooklyn can't stop Embiid in the post, they're just going to score right with whatever uh, Brooklyn's doing. So I, I think Milwaukee is better set up to defend Philly. I think Brooklyn would struggle. So I just want to set this up. This is I, I find this trade fascinating, kind of what it means and how the Nets even match up against the Lakers, because think of a Nets Lakers finals and the kind of closing lineups that you would see feels very finals like you have you for the Lakers. It would probably be AD at the five LeBron, you know, uh, maybe Wes Matthews, KCP Schroeder, right? Or Marquis, you know, mix those up, you know, a guard Either or that something. Or maybe, maybe Caruso finds his way in there right. instead of Wes. But I don't know. The, the LA has some options. And and then on the other side, it would be Kyrie, Harden, Joe Harris. Um, who else? You know, KD, Jeff Green. I think. KD, Jeff Green. Yes, thank you. So you'd probably see, you know, AD on Kevin Durant. It's it's a fascinating kind of offensive series, but I do think the Lakers defense and I think this even with the Bucks with DiVincenzo and Drew Holiday, the two way ability of those guys might make the difference on a team concept. But I'm also not confident in the Bucks. But this is not like a, a no brainer walk into the finals trade the way it might be the way it maybe looks on paper. Mm -hmm. I think on paper, Milwaukee would win. I think once you get tactically, it swings in Brooklyn's favor. Is it enough? I don't know. Just because they appear to be much more an offensive team than one that's great defensively. But then on the other side, with Milwaukee, we've seen that just their offensive adjustments have been their weakest point in the playoffs. So we'll have to see what that looks like. There's a, a strength on a strength and a weakness on a weakness, perhaps. Although, I mean, Milwaukee's offense is good, but tactically. Such an interesting trade to talk about, you know, I, I put it into context for Lakers fans, you know, Lakers again, fourth in offense and now first in defense. So they can beat you on both sides of the ball and with different lineups, combinations, versatility. I still remain very confident in this team. So, Tim, let's get into some of our questions here. Lakers went three and oh again on the road where they stay undefeated. But in the garbage time against OKC, which I love for uh LeBron has been in flip-flops before the final horn in both of the last two games. But why did Vogel put Mark in during garbage time versus OKC? Was it for him to get some sort of rhythm? Uh, And to me, it's, yeah, it's rhythm. It's, you know, it's, he's also a table setter, which really helps. Like Quinn, he's a better table setter than a Quinn Cook. And with THT out there and McKinney and just let these guys cut off a Gasol. It's, you know, what they did for years in Memphis. Yeah, I part of it could be to give him a rhythm. I think in general, if you have a guy that's playing poorly in that game, and I don't know if Casal is playing all that poorly, but getting them some some run at the end of the game to work that rhythm back up can be good. And then, like you mentioned, having Gasol out there makes a huge difference for guys like THT who those minutes can be really valuable. How valuable they are, it depends on who you're playing against, but then also who you're playing with in your lineup. If THT is out there with all deep bench guys that don't, play real minutes the way he's gonna be asked to perform and just like what he's working on will be a little bit different than if he's getting minutes with LeBron or AD or in this case Marcus Saul where he can work on some of the things that in real minutes in in non-garbage time he'll be able to get similar looks so I I don't mind it you Mm -hmm. never want to get guys injured um but I I can definitely see the positives and how, you know, the, the risk of injury is fairly low just for those couple minutes. So I don't I really don't mind it. We also saw Schroeder play a good bit in that game against his former team, which 
I've got no problem with. Um, I think he played norm more than he generally right. would, especially relative to some of the other bigger guns who sat a little bit earlier. So no, no problem with that from me. Um, happy for a big one. I, I don't have a problem with that either. I think maybe part of this too, I, I'm unsure about this logic yet, but THD is kind of one of those players that when he's in there and when he's on ball, like his stamina bar just drops significantly. It's, it's not quite up to full speed all the time when he's on the court yet in that conditioning as he is still getting into, you know, shape. You see him just absolutely gassed after having the ball in his hands for a couple of possessions and you get it. Why? Right. He's doing a lot out there uh, mm-hmm. athletically, but it helps get the ball out of his hands, help him score a little bit off ball too, which is eventually the perfect role that he can uh, provide for this team. Yeah, and it also another factor in this is Gasol played 23 minutes total, including that garbage time mm. in that game. So some of it is you want to get guys. We talk about resting guys. You also want to get guys enough uh, chance to go out there and exercise and, and get some some miles logged. So, well, and yeah, for Gasol, it, it feels like some games he's just kind of out there running, blocking shots, passing. You know, he's got two in every category, so he's doing stuff. But yeah, it's it's not like full rhythm of the game. Mm-hmm. So really quick, Tim, just before we move on to the next question, I wanted to tell you we had a Woj Shams bomb that uh, the NBA is considering adding a third two-way contract, uh, basically effective immediately. What do you think about that? I think it's a good idea. With what we've seen on the COVID side, those are going to be needed. What this is really going to do is – you know, some teams are going to get screwed and they're not going to have enough guys out that they can postpone the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this will somewhat contribute to that. There, There's going to be teams where they're in a situation where it's like, oh, man, we have so many guys out. It's almost it almost would be nice if we had one more out. And we could just play this game in the second half of the season instead of playing with our deep bench against their full squad. And this will just contribute to that. We're going to see fewer games postponed likely as a result yeah. of this. Although I bet we see more games postponed moving forward, just given the climate and how COVID is spreading. Um, But it should be a mitigating factor. Another piece of this is some teams, you know, from a G League perspective, things are very different this year. So this will be presenting more opportunity for some of those players to get real time. I don't know if LA has anyone in mind that uh, would get that opportunity. I don't see that player doing much barring a big COVID scare. Uh, or several injuries, because even with a player or two resting at a time, that player wouldn't really be getting much run. So from a Lakers perspective, I don't see a big impact. Hopefully we don't see a big impact, because if we do, it's because some bad things have been happening. But I can understand why the the league is doing it. And I don't know, maybe we'll get a player or two who gets on those deals and, and shows out and works their way into a contract moving forward. I mean, you know, Lakers scouting is I would love to give them another, uh, you know, throw at the dartboard in any situation possible. So uh, if they've Mm -hmm. got a guy that went undrafted this year uh, that they like uh, or anything like that. But, yeah, it's it's we're just wait and see mode. The more we learn, I'm sure the more opinions we'll have on what they might do with that extra spot. But, you know, the other thing that's important to remember is if you do go down to, you know, seven players and you need eight and you do have a roster spot, it's irrelevant because those guys still have to come in and quarantine, basically. You know, when the season started, they did that all like base quarantine where these guys will be around each other uh, going forward, but they had to quarantine first. So it's a little more messy than just bringing in extra guys. But with that said, the G League will be in a bubble environment. So... It, but but then again, not all teams have representatives there. Like not all teams are sending a G League roster. So uh, lots lots of stuff going on here. Okay, moving on to the next one. Uh, how can the Lakers address their turnover issues? Are there analytics on turnovers and what causes them? Now, Tim, the turnover percentage for the Lakers this year, they're 22nd in the league at 15.3%. I, I don't know if that, terribly worries me what was it can you pull up what it was last year from what i understand it's like it's not good but i don't think there's been a huge jump uh yes i'm pulling it up last year the lakers were 23rd at 14.9 so it is just slightly up but in respective to the league they're about the same 
Okay. Yeah. And that's, so I did some deep dive on like synergy and the way Mm -hmm. I tried to look at it was, are there, so are we just playing a style of offense more geared towards turnovers? Like if you're in transition more, you're going to score more, but there's also a higher turnover rate. If you're running more pick and roll, there might be a higher turnover rate than if you're posting up for, for example. Um, The style of play has been fairly similar. And then looking within each of those play types, for the most part, they were all pretty similar. The one big area that we've seen, we have seen a jump in turnover rate has been transition. Mm -hmm. And looking deeper within that, at which players it's coming from, guys last year versus this year have been pretty consistent. We haven't seen huge jumps or, or falls. The one guy that's been inserted into the situation that does have a high turnover rate in transition and has in the past is Dennis Schroeder. So when you insert him, who has a 23% turnover rate in transition into the mix, that's going to make the team's turnover rate in transition jump a little bit. But I, big picture, I don't, I don't know. I don't see a huge issue. So talking about analytics on turnovers and what causes them, the team may uh, have tracking on like more specific like set plays they run or actions and what's causing turnover similar to the play type stuff but a a bit uh, deeper this is something we did in consulting with college teams last season this year we're taking the year off because nobody has any money because of covid but this is something that from an analytics standpoint you can track here's what we're doing and then not just here's how effective it is overall but how effective do we expect it to be in the future based on the shot profiles and the turnovers and all that stuff. So they may have a better sense for what's causing turnovers, not just who or bigger picture where. Um, But from our perspective, it's uh, I'm looking at play types and just telling you that it's, it's about the same Dennis Schroeder and transitions causing the uptick, but overall no, no big deal to me. I'm, I'm okay with it. And it's, it's not great. It can get a little bit better, but we have guys on this team that are going to score efficiently, but also, turn the ball over here and there and you get that a little bit with uh some of the the style that certain players play really quick if if you ha- don't have it no worries D- it, the percentage of possessions in transition has it gone up this season i'm gonna grab that right now while i'm grabbing that i will note that defensively our turnover rate is down so we're causing fewer turnovers which is interesting to me because generally with a drop coverage which is what la played last regular season you tend to force fewer turnovers than some of those more aggressive screen coverages like we're playing this year. Um, In ball screens, we've actually seen about the same amount of turnovers defensively. Uh, One, the one big area, again, from a play type standpoint, pretty similar, but the one area that we've seen a big drop has been our uh, defending of dump offs where we've dropped from like an 8% turnover rate to like 1%. And I think that materializes in the fact that like Harold and Gasol aren't the same rim protectors as Dwight and JaVale and guys aren't like fumbling to get the ball up as quickly as they can against them. And I, I think that's how that's materializing to answer your question. All right. So Lakers this year, 16.7% of their offensive possessions have been in transition last season. It was 17.5%. So the team's playing a little bit. I don't know if the pace is slower overall, I don't care all that much about pace. I care about percent of time in transition because that's where the, the that's where you get those high quality possessions. LA is uh, getting there just a little bit less this year, and our efficiency so far has been 17th in the league. So, and that's all very interesting. I I do think that stuff affects things, but uh, I have a kind of a wild theory. And just before that, I will say, Lakers this year 15th in pace. Lakers last year were 11th in pace, so, and pretty similar pace as well um tell me if i'm crazy here tim i was getting a little eye testy here but the kinds of players lakers have too with lebron and gasol they make and and some other people too sometimes high margin of error passes but high uh reward in those streaking ad touchdown passes when he lands and he's usually going to get that ball, right? Or it, he gets fouled. A lot of good things happen out of that play type. But it's very risky. The passes from Marcus Saul, you know, they're beautiful, but they, they're high margin of error because there's a low, small window. Do you think that affects anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the margin for error within the execution of it would be a little Cor- bit lower. Correct. The, correct. the rate of, 
yeah, yeah, I, I know. I got what you're saying though. Yeah, yeah, they're they're harder, more aggressive passes. They're getting right. high quality looks. Right. But like we've seen several plays where like Gasol's passing it like through people's legs and stuff. Yes. Like that's gonna tend to turn the ball over a little bit more than right. if Marcus Gasol were the type of big man that's just gonna hand the ball off, and that's how he gets his playmaking. Like we we've seen with like Bam Adebayo. That's how a lot of his playmaking comes, and and that's good, and that adds value. But it's a different quality of attempt you're getting for teammates exactly if you're handing it off to them on the perimeter versus whipping it through four people's legs knocking an apple off a plate and putting the ball in lebron james's right hand as he's jumping to the right like it's like these are like circus passes to great to get really high quality shots but you know here or there you're gonna have some issues and we've brought up on this pod before that gasol's passing efficiency with the b-ball index metric that we use has been in like the 98th 99th percentile year after year despite pursuing a lot of these high uh high quality high risk high reward passes so he's pretty good at it and we're seeing that already if you were taking these same passes and wasn't hitting them it would look ugly and it would stand out it, it'll come if the territory that he's operating within will come with a higher percentage of turnovers but within players playing that style he's about as good as you can get from an efficiency standpoint it's like what and this is not exactly how it works i'm just saying for an example would you rather be you know 10th in offensive rating and first in turnover percentage and just never be the team that turns it over, but have a slightly less efficient offense. And it's not that big of a drop, but you know, it's, it's again, it's a high risk, high reward, good output mm-hmm. play. If you get it, it's a bucket yeah. or a foul. We're, th- we're throwing deep balls in football instead of dinking and dunking. That That's the, di- like you're going right. to get more explosive great, plays. Great you're going to score more. It's going to, yeah. Like, you may have a higher completion percentage when you're mm-hmm. throwing the ball at the line of scrimmage or right. one, two yards in front of the line of scrimmage, but you're, the result is going to gain less on average than if you were being more aggressive. And if you're going to be more aggressive and not execute well, then maybe it's not worth it. Maybe the style isn't worth it, but Gasol's good enough. LeBron's good enough. We were seeing THT throw some of these passes in the, in transition they're executing it pretty well. So I'd say overall, it's worth it. It's going to come that with the territory, come more turnovers, but it's well worth it. And the guys are executing pretty well. So I'm okay with it. Totally same. And if you want some, a different perspective on that question, it's a good question for, for what it's worth. Every time you see them turn the ball over, if it is in pursuit of one of those spectacular high, you know, risk plays, just shrug it off, you know, because think of all those other plays that hit and uh, so many of the positives that come out of those. And it's almost at every time it's going to be a layup or free throws and may maybe a wide open three if like they swing the ball at extra time. Yeah. And those are the highest quality looks like the, the most efficient plays in basketball. And, and people are like, oh, analytics, this analytics, that analytics doesn't mean threes. The most efficient shots are at the free throw line then at the rim, and then those open corner threes. So the Lakers with Gasol in particular, they're getting so many cuts to the rim, shots at the rim. I looked into it. It doesn't seem like LeBron's getting higher three-point shot quality because he's playing with Gasol. He's getting more shots at the rim playing with Gasol from those cuts, and we're seeing with THT and all those other players. So that's the impact. It is sort of money ball. We're getting higher quality looks, but it's basketball. It's, It's just smart, good basketball, executed well. So this leads perfectly, Tim, into the next question, which is what values, uh, excuse me, what value are the speedy players to this team? I'm thinking THT, Caruso, Schroeder, KCP. Seems like that speed is pretty valuable. This is exactly part of it, right? How many times you see KCP streak as soon as he sees LeBron get the defensive rebound and LeBron hits him over the top or AD's closing out to a three-point shooter and keeps going and, and you know, doesn't get the ball, but he gets fouled and or he gets a dunk in transition or he throws an alley-oop to Montrez. Trez, I think you should put in here as well because Trez has, mm. Trez has amazing um, foot speed getting vertically, but this is part of it, right? Those high risk passes are there for Gasol and LeBron and other guys because these guys speed, but I don't know. There's also KCP sprinting into his shots, you know, the transition ball handlers. We have more of those now. Uh, how does speed play into this team, Tim? You just covered it. Some of them are just like those KCP threes where he's able to sprint right into a shot. That is a differentiating skill set that For most sure. players do not have. And that takes speed, but also footwork and control and, and balance and all that. 
I think probably what they were hinting at was what you covered with those leak out passes and the transition and KCP THT sprinting down the court on its own. It's valuable that plus the passers LA has with Gasol and LeBron and even THT at times who are throwing those outlet passes makes it even more valuable. And what takes it the step over the top is when the Lakers schematically from an X's and O's standpoint on defense, they tell their guys, if you are contesting a shot at the top of the key, we don't need, and you've got your momentum going towards the other side of the court. We don't need you to try to stop, come back and box out. Just keep going. And we're going to trust that our guys can win on the defensive boards. And then if they do, when you're leaking out, we're going to get you that ball. So there's trust involved. There's guys on the same page from an X's and O's standpoint. The speed itself is really valuable because speed can be the difference between having a 3v3 versus a 3v2 with like one guy, the, the next defender just like two steps behind you. That can be a 3v2 when if you were just a little bit slower, the defender was a little bit faster, suddenly it's a 3v3 and that's a completely different situation. So speed on its own is good. Speed with the way the Lakers are using it and with the skill sets they also have make it even more valuable. And we've seen that on display this past week. It's it. I mean, going back to your awesome football analogy, right? Like the Chiefs can't spread the field if Tyreek Hill isn't one of that. It's the same, but kind of when LeBron gets the mm-hmm. rebound, right? And everyone is starting to kind of reset to the other side of the court. It is almost like the ball gets snapped sometimes and you see KCP beat his guy and and Kuz as well. Kuz has been really good with those, you know, playing really fast in his role. Um, so he deserves a shout out there. They have a lot of yep. different kinds of speed uh, and height with Kuz and and speed with shooting and KCP and and speed with like v- finishing at the rim with Alex Caruso. You know, if he gets a runway, he can yam on you. So it's a lot of different kinds of speed, like to your point. So it's it's very, very helpful to have like LeBron is a pretty young team around him, all things considered. It's really, really awesome. Yeah, and it, it makes these speedy guys look better because they could be speedy. But if LeBron and Gasol are making those passes, we're not talking about it right now. Probably we're not noticing it in game. The other way around is if we didn't have those speedy guys and LeBron is able to throw those passes, but nobody's getting out there nobody's beating their dude then we, we also don't see these plays so it's having both pieces of it and then having the wherewithal from a coaching standpoint and then with the players on the court realizing that it's an advantage let's press that advantage is what makes it what it is all right and uh there is some more stuff uh, where we covered the new guys on twitch uh we had a video breaking down some films so go check that out on how um west Schroeder, Harrell, and Gasol affected kind of the the pace and how which the Lakers might play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some like turning defense into offense or like certain guys among that group are able to handle the ball in transition. Like Harrell, if he gets a rebound, he can he can get it and he can go. Or Gasol throwing those outlet passes or Wes Matthews or Schroeder on ball creating turnovers and then going the other way. It all contributes to increasing your team's pace. And we saw that and we covered this in that Twitch video. Definitely go check it out if you haven't seen it, where we talked about that pace impact estimate, which is a stat that we have on our player profiles at Beatball Index that showed like Schroeder, for example, was an A minus in this versus like Rondo, who pushed pace to his credit, but he was only like a B minus or something like that. So in a lot of the with a lot of those new guys, we took a step up from last year. So it's interesting to see the team's percentage and transition overall is a little bit down, but there's certainly the potential there to uh to be playing faster all right tim let's move on to some questions about the defense um what changes did you see in the lakers pick and roll coverages in the last three games tim i'll happily toss that one to you and these three games that i don't know man i did you see anything different because not (laughs) i didn't really they anthony davis is trying a lot harder and just eating people alive at the rim which again which is awesome yeah, so, so the help defense, maybe the defensive scheme is going to the help defense is looking good. The help defense is looking better. Um, 80s more involved. He's more active. He's creating plays with steals when they're kicking the ball out. Right. He's defending at the rim. He is your perfect. We talked about this. He's that perfect perimeter big who's not your anchor big standing under the rim where you run into him and he tries to block your shot. He's not like ideally on ball on the perimeter. He is ideally in that weak side help position, able to cover ground like no one else with his IQ, his instincts, his athleticism, his length, 
all of those pieces where he can defend the rim as a help guy, but he can also pick a pass off and then run the other way. Um, he's been fantastic. Schematically, we haven't really seen much change. And as we play team after team, we're going to see the Lakers defense look a little, a little bit better or a little bit worse, even if they're doing the same things based on the quality of the opponent, how well the opponent uh, game plans to attack the screen coverages, and then how well they execute that game plan. Some teams have had a good game plan, okay players, executed it well, and they've, they had success. Other teams had a good game plan, didn't execute it well, and were meh. We've seen some teams with bad players have a good game plan and do fairly well. We saw Houston have a, some decent players, maybe not playing as hard as they could have, with a bad pl- game plan that also wasn't executed well, and that didn't really produce much. So even if the Lakers themselves aren't necessarily getting better, it, it, growth isn't necessarily linear. We're not going to just get a little bit better every single day. You obviously want to try to, but we're going to see the defense go up and down a little bit. And it's just the fact that, you know, it takes both both teams are a big piece of this, the quality of the opponent, game planning and execution. So schematically, haven't seen much change. I was a little disappointed in Houston that they didn't attack us smarter because we didn't get to see if LA is getting better at those second and third rotations because we didn't need to. Um, so we weren't challenged in ways where we could show that we've made growth. Uh, maybe tonight against New Orleans or in future games, we, we get to see that. But that's that's really what I'm seeing on the defensive end. All right. Regarding the catch hedges defense, you mentioned in your video, which is Cranges' Corner, which featured on Twitch, if you want to go check that out, talking about the catch hedges of the Lakers. From my understanding, that is part of the reason to have Mark and Trez on the big setting the pick with AD providing help D at the rim. However, with the most likely AD at the five and Braun at the four lineups, do you believe they should try that situation more often so that they are used to those roles? Uh, Tim, I, to me, it's, it's a nice idea, but it's not as clean as that, right? Because possessions are so much more malleable. And, and when you get switched in, in transition, you know, uh, just covering guys, or you were the guy who just got the last dunk. So you're, you know, your defender, you know, the guy on the offense just ran and beat you up the court and you're mismatched. There's a lot of factors that go into to this stuff. It's not like football. Right, right. Yeah, you don't, you don't get to necessarily set up every play right. and say, all right, we're going to have our strong safety here, free safety there. It's it's more like hockey or basketball where it's just sometimes you get those that cross-matching like you're talking about. It's not going to be perfect every play. You can't guarantee where guys are going to be defensively. But when a lot of ball screens involve your center, for a lot of teams having your center defender be Montrezl Harrell or Marcus Saul defend that player. They're going to be often in that action as we've seen. And then your power forward, a lot of times defensively AD will be able to be in that weak side help position. If AD's playing center more likely we're going to see him more often used as the defender in those ball screens or defending the screener. And then that weak side player will be someone else. Uh, it could happen within the existing lineups where AD is playing power forward and, and they just run a 1-4 pick and roll instead of a 1-5 pick and roll. But if he is your 5 defensively, LeBron's your 4 defensively, you're going to see a higher percentage of plays where we need LeBron to be that guy instead of AD. I think that makes LA a little bit less effective defensively. I think where LA will be stronger with that specific group on the court is when they're switching things. And I think really by having that smaller, memorable group, switching is is the advantage you gain as a defense so mm-hmm. if you do need to switch then lebron doesn't quite he's will be less he'll need to be less involved as a help defender you don't need to tag a roll man if you're switching as 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 much as if you're running catch hedges so that would be kind of the uh here's what might happen if we're in that defensive lineup just don't assume every lineup will run the same things but if it is what frank vogel might consider running in the playoffs and they don't want to switch then yeah I think the general concept behind this question is in the playoffs, if we're going to use these lineups, should we work on them now? Should we get guys familiar with those roles? And my answer to that would be, yeah, sure. Like over the next like 50 games, you certainly want to get some chance to get those groups out there, see how it looks and be able to tweak things now rather than in the playoffs. Because I don't know, in general, you don't just want to like hide stuff necessarily. You don't want to never try what you think is your best group until the playoffs because then you haven't gotten a chance to work through and, and really perfect and polish what that group looks like. It, it like 
teams have seen the LeBron at the 480 at the five lineups before. It's not like some secret weapon that you gain some huge advantage by not playing. I would love to see it used a little bit more. There will be some games where it's more helpful than others. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be down to see a little bit of that, especially if Ellie is getting to a better stage with their defensive scheme and they're they're ready to start focusing on some other areas and try some stuff out. I think there's just like a slight issue in the question to me because the lineups that the the listener is describing don't actually have LeBron at the four. It's actually Markeith Morris, you know, or maybe they're going to try Harrell. I I think, you know, with, with Vogel's spoken about the um, LeBron AD Keith plus two guards being that championship lineup. We've seen that kind of uh, theory come through in some of the, some of the fourth quarters this year. And so I basically philosophically don't think LeBron will be asked to, guard fours very often and it gives him a little bit of an advantage too mm-hmm. let me ask you this so i uh, no, you're right no you're right i'm trying to like finagle the question and, and and force my way into like oh well it could happen but yeah anything could happen there will be some for situations sure. where lebron needs to do that but like you're saying more often than not in a lot of these lineups he's truly playing the three defensively, defensively yes four. so yeah you're right and perhaps i'm out of touch with what the lineup data says i don't i haven't noticed them using those lineups more in last season we didn't really see that grouping too much without keith in there as well so no i'm i'm with you i don't think that specific pairing in that specific situation will be high volume you can certainly you'd love to work on it you want to work on all these things you want to work on ad on ball or ad in those ball screens and then keith is that help man as well but uh yeah to I don't know. Would you rather have LeBron or Keith as your perimeter big help defender? Uh, I mean, if it's a playoff game, LeBron. If it's a regular season game, probably Keith. You know, okay. I, I just trust yeah. LeBron's effort and energy level in the playoffs, obviously, and and getting him there is important. So, I, I guess to the listeners' question, to to the point, I think where the where the question's coming from is Lakers have so many things. You know, we talked about it last pod that they're good at that we want to see more of. I think they're starting to do more of the Trez pick and roll finally. And he's starting to get going like on a consistent basis. You know, he really ate in the last few games um, and it wasn't just cleaning up like he has been. He's been, you know, getting getting some work in on the pick and roll. But I I think Vogel is trying a lot of other stuff so that he sees if it works now because he knows that lineup I described works you know it's yeah we want to get some more run with different guards maybe get Schroeder in there see what he looks like KCP and Caruso we know that's gonna win so yeah they're just trying a bunch of stuff right now seeing what sticks and I I'm not super worried with where they're at uh I think they're evolving at the a perfect pace very happy happy with Vogel um Anyway, moving on, Tim, uh, a couple more questions here. Lineup questions. Are we going to see more AD at the five and LeBron at the four lives before we get to the playoffs? You know, similar question. <laughs> so question. It seems like that might go <laughs> well against the elite teams in the playoffs here. So, again, I I can see that. I guess I don't see LeBron at the four as much. Uh, they will try Trez. They will try Keefe and, you know, maybe even Kuzma. You know, it defensively, he might be. The four, depending on the guy, you know, on Christian Wood, maybe, maybe it's Kuzma. I don't know. I, we we went through this. Anything else you want to throw about that topic? I would love to. We have a new tool at Bball Index that's free. You can go check it out right now. Where you go in and among the, it's basically you you tell the tool which five types of players you're going to have in a lineup. Tell it a little bit of info about their skill sets click the run button and it'll look at every lineup over the past like decade who's run out that type of group before and how successful they've been. So I went in and I said, all right, I'm going to have a LeBron type guy who's high playmaking, who's like this good as a perimeter defender, who's this good as an interior defender, who's this good as a shooter. And I think those are the only skill sets we have in it so far. And then we've got our AD who guy who's an elite rim protector, really good perimeter defender. Okay. Spacing the floor, pretty good playmaker. And then three non-big man options. And I hit the run button. And basically it was like, this lineup will destroy worlds. Or at least it has in the past. And it was like, based on how you tweaked it exactly, it was like plus 20 net ratings or plus 30 net ratings. 
those types of lineups don't generally exist all that much out there. It is a championship formula. The Lakers have it. We saw that last playoffs where they had AD and LeBron together overall had like a plus 15 net rating. If you remove like Dwight or JaVale, I'm sure it may have gone up even more. And so far this season, they're plus 21 uh, net rating together. Just those two guys, including all the lineups they've been with. And so it's a pairing that works and just, you know, getting to the point you said earlier, like it's a championship formula to have those two guys plus a dude like Keith and a couple shooters. Hashtag analytics telling us that LeBron and Anthony Davis are good together. No, but I mean, it's important because it's like the scale of how good they are. Right. And how much you can be negative in the, a lot of those other minutes and that like the Lakers put that lineup together and good luck. And it's also like skill, size, athleticism, um, passing those two guys are like such a nightmare man because when you do bump them up just a little bit like what four has the size and the foot speed to not get roasted by another guard in the pick and roll and be able to switch maybe on to anthony davis it's like those guys just don't exist so it's it's very unique you know issue they provide for teams who even have good big guys Yep. And uh, to, for full transparency, I plugged in the exact talent grade stuff and zero lineups popped up because this, these, this grouping just like does not exist out in the wild other than on this Lakers team. And that database didn't look at last season. It was only pre LeBron AD together. So there were zero lineups in the NBA from 2013 to 2019 that had two guys like LeBron and AD together with three non bigs on the court. Wow. This is completely new. The Lakers have it. No one else has it. And it is it has destroyed worlds in theory, even with like a Costco LeBron and AD, which is essentially what I had to plug into the tool. It was like this should still kick butt. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a winning formula. And we're very privileged to be able to have that on our roster uh, and not even really fully activate it until playoff time. All right, man, let's get to a couple more of these. Uh, finish off with some Discord questions as we finish up our time here, Tim. What are, your, what are your thoughts on THT's performance so far this year? For me, as always, I think the kid's getting better and better. Um, you know, he's getting some confidence shooting the ball in spot ups, which he was shooting poorly on to start the season. So that's been promising to me. He always looks good in a pick and roll. Uh, my dude definitely needs a left hand, but somehow he can always make those right-handed reverse scoop shots and just flick it backwards over his head. But what, what do you think about THT so far, my man? Yeah, he's been good. He like, he's been good this, this past week as well. And, and I still have bigger picture concerns about the fit if he just needs to be a spot up guy but especially in these garbage time minutes or in lineups where we've seen LA put LeBron and AD together I think a little bit more than in the past and we've seen some non-LeBron non-AD minutes where THT is able to go do THT things Mm -hmm. and he's been great at it yep and uh another I'll plug another data thing uh b-ball index we just released our uh new finishing talent grade for this season and uh, check out my the, the Twitter thread I did on a couple observations for different guys. LeBron's way up there. Harold's way up there. AD's finishing is very good. His getting to the rim is not as good as it has been. And that's something that we've noticed. Um, and Alex Regla and Silver uh, Screener Roll, they, they had a, a nice article about it. But with THT, he stood out because he was, I think, 24th or 23rd in the entire league in this finishing talent grade, which – you know, we've talked about it. It's yeah, he's good at this, but he's he's really good at it. He's already at a really high caliber with that specific skill. We we've talked about him being really good at it. We've seen it. We've seen it in the G League. We saw it in preseason, and now it's showing up in real games and at a not just a good level, an elite high caliber level. Even stacking him up against you know all of the other great players in the league. So. He certainly has plenty of room to grow. He's a very young guy, but we're seeing him fit in with the team, look like he belongs, be soaking up things. And like now he's throwing Marcus all outlet passes and he's got that the on ball steal rates uh, that are through the roof and finishing really well at the rim. So I'm, I'm very pleased with what we've seen so far from THT this season. Bro, his ball control is like like top 10 players in the league. Like what he can do with the ball in his hands, getting English on it, angles, the the hand speed, uh, hand size, the arm length, all that stuff factors in. But the vision and the anticipation too. He's 
overly ambitious, but he like he'll reach around and, you know, hit a guy in the dunker spot. They're like, I did not think that angle existed. And and it, and he he understands what his physical gifts bring him and, and he's able to exploit them. And that's not always the case. There's a lot of long players in the league and and it helps, but it, they don't always know how to make best use of it to to make it a clear and present advantage. Yeah, he yeah, like I think that's a perfect way of putting it. He has the athleticism, he has the length, and he makes best use of it. We we've talked about several years ago, Brandon Ingram. Yep. Very long guy. We don't quite see, see it materialize at times, and he's gotten better at that. THT already at the age that he's at is really good at that and finding those dunker spot dump offs and then like he's shooting shots and this helps him overcome the fact that he doesn't have too much of a left hand he's shooting shots with those un- like reverse layups that most players would be putting off like the bottom of the yeah. rim but he's able to like get the right angle and get those in so he's uh using that athleticism to really good use so far and even to work around some of the weaker areas of his weaker areas of his game right now because a lot of players if they don't have one hand finishing at the rim that's that's that really hurts them and we haven't seen it hurt THT nearly as much as most guys just because he's able to overcome that a little bit with that that length a little bit so what would you like to see this team work on over the next 10 to 15 games because for me it continues to be defensive excellence and you know help rotations and and nailing coverages and getting on the same page um on the defensive end i'd agree with that 10 games is a lot of time if it were like the next like three or four games so i think my answer would be a little bit different by 15 games from now i would want the lakers to have nailed down those defensive rotations figured out some of the adjustments to how teams are attacking them and catch hedges and be at a point where they're ready to mix in different scheme coverages a little bit more and be a little bit more versatile defensively uh, defending on and off ball actions. They're already like crazy good defensively, which was not as expected, not too expected given that they're like running the same defense out there every day. Uh, I'm sure over the next 10 to 15 games, we'll see teams challenging what we're doing a little bit more than we saw with Houston OKC this past week. Uh, But yeah, I think that's the big thing. I'd love to see, more THT integration. I'd love to see more Schreer Harrell. I would like to see if AD and Harrell is going to work defensively because again, even after those couple games that we've had that were really good, that pairing hasn't been good. Um, looking at like all the different two man data, the only two man groups that haven't been positive so far this season contain one or both of Wes Matthews and Montrezl Harrell. And Matthews appears to have just from like an impact standpoint, and we haven't released our new version of LeBron, the the impact metric for this season yet, but looking behind the scenes a little bit, it looks like Harrell so far has been okay defensively, offensively, hasn't been a huge positive impact. Uh, Matthews has been a negative on both ends. So figuring out what's going on there and building off of it, I think will be important because those are two guys you need to, to be able to play in the playoffs. Um, I think those are some of the big things. Work on the defense, figure out how to take the offense up a notch, and, and we're still just integrating some of those new pieces so far. So I think those are some of the bigger priorities I'd have at this point in the season. I'm fully with that. Matthews so far with a very roller coaster like season, you know, hitting like five threes in multiple games and missing everything in between. So it would be nice to see him. He's gotten some rest uh, following this injury. So hopefully he can get right. But I would like to see in the next 10 to 15 games, the Lakers close a game against a reasonably good team with Trez on the court and not just give up every bucket you know to make the game close i would like to see that again it's pretty ambitious i know it's you know what we were worried about a little bit but this is around the time where if you're gonna do it you gotta try around now because you know you look up in a month or six weeks it's nut crunching time so yep just get it done now and even sooner than that yeah even sooner than that within a week from today we've got a game against milwaukee right on national television so that's a big game. That's going to be a tough game. We've got Philly coming up a few games after that. 
uh, in between, we've got Golden State, you've got Chicago, you've got Cleveland, Detroit's in there. So, so there are some easier games, um, but I, I think the Milwaukee and the Philly games are going to be the two ones that I'm keeping an eye out for of, does the team bring it? Are they able to close with those types of groups? Mm-hmm. And and how do we stack up against some of the higher caliber teams in the league? No, it is an important week. Uh, look, it's always a tricky thing to guard a Steph Curry team. He can explode on you and, and you know, you can't cover him like you do most other guards. So that's good experience. Uh, not super worried about that team, but still it will be a fun week uh, compared to this last one. So Tim, anything else you got to close out today? My guy, we have the Pelicans tonight. That should be a fun game seeing the baby Lakers plus Zion. So uh, yeah. What, what do you think about that game? I think it'll be fun. By the time a lot of people listen to this, that game may have happened already. Zion shows up first in our uh, finishing talent grade so far this season. He may be, I think Giannis was first the past couple of years. So maybe uh, Zion will take that throne this season. He's, so I was looking more into him. He's just such a weird player. He's like, he's a post scorer is his offensive archetype, but not all that effectively. He's not passing out of the post. He's not all that efficient in the post. He's often also like a garbage man where he's finishing dump offs. He's getting putbacks, but like the, I, I, it, I'm struggling cause I, I want to believe in him and I want him to do well. And there's a lot of hype surrounding Zion and, and a lot of folks want him to be like, he's a cover athlete for a, a lot of places. How do we take him to that point from where he is right now, which is like a, a six, six dump off man that posts up a lot because I, I can't name any 6-6 elite post players in the league that like their bread and butter is that he's, he's got to add a, sh- he's taken like four jump shots this season of like hundred and like 80 offensive possessions wow. um, of, of like scoring possessions, not just like mm-hmm. him on the court. So he's got to expand his game. He's still young. He's got plenty of time, but what are those next steps is what I'm going to be watching out for with Zion because we know what he can do. He can't, he has the athleticism. He can dunk pretty well. But um, where is the growth going to come and and how does Stan Van Gunny and his staff tap into that to help bridge the gap between where he is now and like chasing almost the hype that is already there for him? Because you, you don't want that to over you don't want that wave to overcome him. And then all of a sudden the the tide turns from a tone standpoint with him. Um, still plenty of time left, but I'm excited, I'll say, to to see where the next steps come with him. It's kind of a weird archetype to uh, pair with your best player in Brandon Ingram. And I will stand by this, that I do believe Brandon Ingram is better than Zion will ever be. But, you know, maybe that's for another uh, another day. Tim, here's a fun stat. Pelicans and Lakers, top two teams in rebounding in the league. So something's got to give there tonight. Like, in, in what, what, like, they're all just in general or like their offensive rebounding against our defensive rebounding or like, where's the specific matchup? So, uh, in, in several actually, uh, so it offensive rebounding, they have a bit of an advantage. They're second. We are 11th, but it's defensive rebounding. They're the first defensive rebounding team by pretty significant two and a half percent, uh, 79% to the Lakers, 76.4 defensive rebounding overall rebounding percentage they are first 54.4 lakers are second at 53.5 okay and so you said their defense was first their offensive rebounding was second that's i mean yep damn okay so just don't miss shots i guess (laughs) (laughs) that's uh and i i mean zion's a big piece of that so well we'll see what the Lakers can do i don't i don't know game planning around around a rebounding advantage or disadvantage isn't usually top of the list but i i guess one way to to look at it would be if they're going to crash the boards a lot our leaking out in transition becomes even more high risk high reward because depending on how they're they're crashing the boards our dudes may be wide open but we also may give up more offensive rebounds if their guards or whoever's at the top of the key from them is crashing to go after those offensive boards so depending on who's winning that battle, you may see some really easy leak out transition scores, or you may see the Pelicans get offensive rebounds and then have a five on four because 80s standing at the other rim. Um, so I'd keep an eye out for that. Maybe you do some sandwich rebounding. If a guy like Montrose Harrell is struggling to rebound in the paint uh, on the other end of the court, 
Harrell, I, I believe in his ability to create activity, but a lot of those, especially against a good boxing out rebounding team, sometimes instead of Harrell getting the board, he's going to get a tip and he might be able to get the second jump and win it himself. But some of those tips are going to go to empty spaces on the court where you need your other four players to have the awareness to, you know, fight for that. So that might be something where if New Orleans isn't leaking out in transition, you may just hesitate a second longer, see if there's going to be a tip, see if there will be that opportunity and then get back. That's I think how I would approach a game uh, like tonight's with, with a team that's as good of a rebounding team as the Pelicans are. Good stuff, man. We are going to wrap it up there for today. Once again, big thank you to the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are thrilled to be a part of them, and uh, we'll promote that out there on our socials as well. Um, The feed for y'all shouldn't change at all. You should still be subscribed, and everything's the same. So um, on that note, follow us on Twitch. We'll be back on Monday with a pod. And, um, yeah, we'll get this train rolling, Tim, on a consistent basis, dude. Yeah, because Tim will have Wi-Fi that works again. Yay. <laughs> yeah, moving. So holidays and moving is why we've been uh, – holidays and me moving has been why we've been a little digitary, but we'll be more consistent moving forward. So I'm, I'm happy to get more in a rhythm as well and uh, get some of those streams working again, see some more Lakers basketball. Because we have an exciting week or two ahead, even, even with the Warriors. It may not be the best team, but Steph Curry is going to be a lot of fun to watch um, and seeing how we defend him. New, uh, the game tonight is going to be fun. Milwaukee is going to be a, a, a tough, interesting one. Yep. Chicago pushed the Lakers that last game we played them. Cleveland with other big men. What are they going to do? Um, they've just added Jared Allen. How does that look? And then you've got Philly right after that. And then <laughs> Detroit might be a stinker, uh, but they've got some interesting pieces. And then you've got Boston right after that. So the next week or two is, is going to be full of some really intriguing games. Yeah, man. We'll be back on Monday with a preview pot. But in, until then, uh, we'll catch you guys later. Peace. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.